Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Jill. And I'm John. And this episode of the podcast, we are, uh, we're going to get a little speculative. We have, uh, we've pulled out... Like we don't already do it a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like this is a change for our content. Uh, we have pulled out the Kentucky Fried Crystal Ball to look into the future. Uh, the greasy fingers have smeared it, so not all of our predictions are clear and cannot legally bind us in court. However, we can tell you some things that we think might be changing in the hobby in the future. Um, John and I, I don't know, we chat a lot, as you could probably guess from the fact that we have a podcast about tabletop wargaming, uh, about wargaming and sort of some of the hurdles that companies are going to have to hop going forward and some of the just different world changes that could affect it and we've had this conversation a couple of times off air about you know what do we think hobby stores are going to look like in the future you know five ten years down the road and we've enjoyed it so much we thought maybe we should bring that conversation here um because I do think it's interesting to talk about, don't you think? Oh yeah, I think that there's a lot of gas in the tank of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's game stores now today are drastically different than they where they were ten, fifteen years ago. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious on what it's going to look like in the future, and maybe what problems they'll face then as opposed to now. Yeah. I mean, things are changing constantly. If there's one thing I want to start this with, it's not that we necessarily think that changing is a problem. It Life changes. It's the only constant. It, <laughs> like, it just happens. You can't like, help it. You can't avoid it. Uh, and I would argue being willing to change with different uh, consumer needs and challenges is a great thing. Um, so I don't want anybody to be up at arms that like, oh, my game store won't be the same. Because it won't be, but that's not necessarily bad. You, it was never going to be in the first yeah, place. <laughs> you might be happy that it changed for you. Uh, but first, hobby time and games played. All right, John. I would look forward to asking this question now that you have the airbrush. What have you been hobbying on? Uh... Nothing. You bastard. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm you kidding. bastard. I've, <laughs> uh, I've been playing around with the airbrush. I've been painting up guardsmen. Uh, I'm going with a like a light blue World War One French scheme for my guardsmen. Yeah, that's a delightful scheme. It's real genius whoever thought that one up. Yeah, I think his name is Bosif. Yeah, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, anyways, I've been doing that. Uh, airbrush has been... Interesting. Uh, I've, it's been difficult to like learn the right consistencies and stuff, but once I got that down, everything just goes way faster. Mm -hmm. um, I actually just got in my enamel stuff today. Ooh. Uh, well, actually, yesterday. Streak and grime? Yeah, streak and grime and like some thinner, some stuff. So I'm going to work on that for the tanks. Um, spent most of the week 
like shading and uh, putting basing material on my guardsmen. Uh, turns out, no matter how quick a process is, if you're doing it 30 times in a row, it does take a while. So yeah, man, there's a that quantity just has its own time sink, no matter how simple it is. Yeah, and so like I've been working on that just steadily doing that while like listening to stuff or watching TV and uh, gonna work on that for the next two weeks try to get it all done and ready uh, then uh, I'm about to go through some of my older models and I'm going to pull out all the stuff that I have that's unpainted from other armies and kind of consolidate it so I can make a plan of attack going forward into the winter um, I don't think there's gonna be a lot of this winter that's gonna, you know, entice me to buy. But I know that I've got a lot of stuff I could work on, so I should probably start trying to work on some of that. Especially now that I have an airbrush and zero excuses. Yeah, I feel similar, man. That like, there's probably not a whole lot for me to run out and spend money on, but I do have a pile of gray that you know you could just dig into. Yeah, make a nice little like winter project as it's all so snow starts coming down. So do the paint layers. This is a country song. <laughs> <laughs> Snowflakes and paint uh, layers? Ooh, that's... My wife left me and all I got left to do is paint miniatures while the winter snow falls atop my head. <laughs> uh, we we got to work on that, John. We got to work on that. Uh, I do have to work If on we that. get one million likes on this video, we'll make it a full country song. Um, <laughs> I can't make that promise. John, I here make this promise to you. I declare it between the viewers, us, and the gods. I will make it a full country song if we get a million likes. Um, I really hope that never comes to pass. <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, you know. The winter months, it gets really frigid. There's not as much you can really go out and do. Might as well set yourself up to hobby. Get some hot cocoa, a cardigan, start knocking out some gray. Yeah, especially since a lot of, a lot of the video games I was very excited for this year. I know this isn't a video game pro podcast, but, you know, do what you want. Uh, the, like, all the ones I wanted to play this year have kind of been pushed off to 2022. Mm -hmm. So... I'm just not going to be sad about it. I'm just going to do other things. But I do desperately want for that Total Warhammer 2. Or Total Warhammer 3? Please. Yes, Total Warhammer 3. Sorry. Yeah, I different, also badly want that. Different year. <laughs> I so badly want it, but I'm just going to be patient. Just going to be patient. And Dark Tide. Dark Tide looks great. Uh, yeah, we'll hopefully get that next summer. I say as I weep. Uh, um... Yeah, I am similarly looking to just sort of hobby through the winter. I have been, uh, much like John, just sort of hammering it out over here. Uh, as we talked about last week, we have a, a sort of hobby, well, like, gaming weekend coming up in early November. And uh, there's no, like, requirement to have all your minis painted. But, you know, I, I would like to give myself little tasks to push towards. So I am going to try to have my minis painted, or at least... of majority painted and i don't mean like a majority of them with paint i mean like a majority of the models painted um so they're just not gray and uh to try to make that happen i have been hammering out hobby as i can throughout the week between real life stuff um been knocking out some salamanders i painted up a unit of aggressors 
I then painted up a unit of Blade Storm veterans, and now I'm working on a captain and a uh, a primaris librarian to try to like round out the list. Um, once I get all of those guys painted, I have to move on to a unit of three eradicators, and then I have to paint a dreadnought, which. Oh, that one's probably going to take the longest. Like, so far, Matt. But you will love it. You will love every moment of painting that track. Yeah, it's going to be delightful. Um, but I know that one's going to be the longest time sink. Because, like, so far, I am averaging about a unit a night. That's about how much I've been able to paint over the past week. Um, I w- if I could hobby, like, every single night mo- longer, maybe a little, dip, a little higher average. But um, you do what you can. Uh, my wife and I have been like enjoying a lot of spooky movies and carved pumpkins and trying to enjoy the Halloween season. So, you know, it's a good reason maybe not to hobby myself to death alone in a room. Um, but even with that progress, I mean, kind of surprising. So that's been going really well. And, uh, heck today, after we get done recording this here podcast, I'm going to pull out uh, well, I'm going to finish up the two heroes and then pull out that Dreadnought and start working on that guy. Because uh, it's a significant portion of the points total for the list. So that's been going well. I think they will get done uh, before the deadline, even with some room to spare, which is great. Because I'm also going to have to build a game table before the game day. So I would love to have some wiggle room in case something goes wrong yeah. there. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, that's going real well. And John, I also might have to poke you for help to try to get a list that also goes up to 1,500 points. Sounds like people want to do. Um, oh, did you need some Space Marines? No, I think I have them, model-wise. I just don't know what to bring. Like, Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we can work on that. Yeah, I've got a space, a bunch of Space Marine models. I'm just not, not sure what exactly to throw in there. Um, but I'm sure that's something we could talk about. Yeah, try to keep it fun and not... You know, want to go against four dreadnoughts and 1,500 points? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My heart as a Salamanders player says throw in three more Eradicators, three more Aggressors, and a uh, uh, the the Field Medic guy. Thank you. Good podcasting, Joe. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, throw in three more Aggressors, three more Eradicators, and Apothecary. But I don't know if that would necessarily be friendly. Could be a little, a little rough, a little rough. But that's something we could talk about um, as we sort of move forward through the week. But yeah, I mean, I'm real happy with how much hobby's going on over at both of our houses. It's an auspicious winter. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think the biggest project for me over the winter is going to be taking all of the chaos models I have and separating them into what I going to actually use going forward Mm -hmm. a lot of the chaos models i have are very old uh and they aren't in the best shape so i think that going forward especially if like world eaters are rumored to get a codex Mm -hmm. um, i might just take what i have for chaos space marines of the newer sculpts and kind of make that with my painted abaddon black legion and i need to separate and see everything that i have for that so Mm -hmm. That's going to be a task, because I have something like 5,000 points before upgrades of, like, Chaos Good God. Infantry. Whew. Yeah. 
<laughs> I have like 160 cultists or something like that. Jesus Christ, that's way too many. They're all painted too. Why? I didn't paint them. <laughs> <laughs> Good God, that's just too many cultists. I mean, actually, never mind. I'm bringing six aggressors now. I just want to throw six aggressors at a blob of 160 cultists and see how many of them die in one flame attack. I'm not sure if I'm bringing chaos to our little uh, weekend event, but if you really want me to, I'll bring you some good, good heretics to kill. I think I'm just gonna have to do some math on like, what would, how many cultists would die per aggressor from salamanders? Because uh, that's fun math to do. But next, on to the topic. All right, John. As much as I want to kill good, good heretics, first I want to talk about the good, good topic. So, yeah, yeah. when discussing game stores, what do we mean, like, well, I guess everybody knows what we mean by game stores, but what do we mean by challenges that might cause them to change? Like, are these things from within the hobbies? Are these things that the companies are doing? Are these things that are just being, you know, are they challenges that well, are just being caused by the world and progression? Um sort of what do you think are uh one of the big ones well first off i kind of want to classify the stores that we're working we're talking about here is stores that are predominantly war gaming stores mm -hmm. or that is a large portion of what they sell because like particularly on me we got a lot of stores that sell like magic cards and board games and like mm -hmm. flesh and blood and like stuff like that but they don't sell a lot of 40k they might sell some of the paint they might sell like a handful of kits, but it's not a major part of where they make their money. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't even really have a play space for it. We've got a, a lot so, of those around here as well. Very different. So those stores, I don't think are going to be affected by a lot of what we're going to talk about here. Uh, because they'll just pivot, right? Mm -hmm. They have different things to worry about, like a lot of the card games going to digital formats, stuff like that. What I'm talking about is the stores that, like, they've got six tables in the back for playing Warhammer or Infinity. You know, they've got a week full of events where you play Infinity on a Tuesday and maybe Warmer Hordes on a Wednesday. Legion on a Thursday. Yeah. Um, um, Warhammer Saturdays. Like, they have we monthly tournaments or bi-weekly tournaments. Like, those stores are dealing with a lot right now. Um I think we should get like the big one out of the way first. Yeah, which is I, COVID. Yeah, it, that's a COVID is a giant elephant in that room. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, we have all hopefully looking on the backside of it now, uh, and hopefully things are getting better, numbers are going down, and that's all great. Real happy about it, genuinely. Um, however. It did a number on our game stores, and uh, we would be remiss to not talk about it. Yeah, I mean, people just stop, like, part of the game store model, for the most part, is provide a place for people to go and congregate and play games, and then buy games at the store they congregate and play games at. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do the first part of that in a pandemic. You just can't. <laughs> and when people are at home alone, they don't want to leave their house, um, they're going to order stuff online over ordering it from the local game store. So they probably just didn't make a lot of money, like, at all. Yeah, I mean... That was the thing I wanted to bring up, is I think some people, when we say, like, COVID was rough on game stores, would think, like, nah, man, like, those games workshop numbers particularly, like, they sold huge. Same thing with Star Wars Legion and Infinity. 
Like, yeah, they those companies definitely did sell more, and that's good for them. Um, however, did they sell more through their local game shops, or did they sell more through online retailers like Amazon or their own portals? I would hazard a guess that it was the second rather than the first, which is a shame. Um, I, I mean... Some game stores really, really tried to accommodate. You know, they had, like, curbside pickup, and uh, my local game store would do, like, a sort of drop, like, a dead drop sort of deal where they would leave it, and you'd come in and get it at your leisure where you wouldn't have to contact have contact with anybody, and that was enough for me. But, like, a lot of these stores lost sales, and they did so for a long time. And Yeah, and... Some of them took some risks. Like there's one near me that uh, they had, they would allow you to rent out some space to play during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, were you and your pod of, of people that you were all willing to take a little bit more of a risk to not be so isolated could come and play. Um, and they would just step out and kind of go be around, but not like in the area of the play space and allow you to play with up to four people in an area and like pay some money to do so. But, like, that only brings in so much money. Mm -hmm. Like, that helps, but it doesn't solve the problem of, like, you're probably selling a lot of stuff to selling none. A lot of them were able to get a huge boost during, like, the Christmas season. Um, a lot of them did a lot of online sales, too. Mm -hmm. Like, full, full disclosure, a lot of them did a lot of online sales to survive. But th they're looking better now. Um but that really had to make them question about what they're going to do going forward for their business. Like what choices they're going to make to keep themselves from, from falling into that hole again. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that might be, maybe they don't stock their shelves as much. Maybe they do a lot more online retail selling. Yeah. Cause it's kind of evergreen. Yeah. And Past that, like uh, at least around my area, I've seen more stores open up. Not so much Warhammer stores, but just game stores in general opening up since COVID's been calming down. Um, a lot of people are quitting their jobs and going and pursuing things they wanted to do. And that's pretty evident around here. Like I've seen three or four shops pop open of just people who went, yeah, I worked an office job before, saved a bunch of money. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try to run a store. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. God, that's, like, that's, that's great. cool. That's real cool. I just don't know if where that's going to be in a few years because like, I've been in a lot of game stores. I can kind of walk into a game store and uh, from the lens of like a mini war gaming, like a not mini war game, <laughs> a war gaming aficionado. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is this a beat map uh, rep? No, no, no. Stop it. Okay, stop okay. It. all right. I'm sorry. Um, just asking. <laughs> um, I can walk into a game store and kind of see. Oh, that's why nobody's buying Warhammer here. Or, like, that's why nobody's buying this or that here. It's like, it's hard to compete, right? Like, there's a local store near me that um, you can go and they've got a huge wall of Warhammer stuff. So much Warhammer shit, right? Mm -hmm. They got right next to the huge wall of Star Wars Legion stuff, right next to the huge wall of, like, board games. And uh, you walk up and you look at the prices of their. Uh, Warhammer stuff, it's the exact same amount they're selling at the Warhammer store down the street. It's the exact same amount they sell retail online. And you go, no, nah, I'm good. Like most most people are just going to go, eh, whatever. 
and they'll load up Amazon. They'll look how much it costs on Amazon, and they're going to buy it for $20 cheaper. Yeah. Off Amazon. Yeah. Do I like it? No. Do I sometimes do it? Yeah. Because I'm not made of money. Like, <laughs> like I want to play this hobby, and if I can save 20 bucks buying it somewhere else, I'm going to do that so I can play the game. Yeah, and over five boxes, you've saved $100. Like, sometimes more. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a significant driver. Um, and I think that's one of the changes that could happen because Amazon can afford to drive the prices lower. Uh, it might just end up being a race to the bottom, which I hope isn't the case because that's not going to be good for the local stores that can't eat that loss like Amazon could, or I won't say loss, well, but small margin. I think that a lot of it has to do with that. Certain stores that have been around longer recognize that you actually will get more sales out of Games Workshop products if you mark it down slightly, mm-hmm. right? If you, like, there's a store in the mall near me, right? If you go in that store to go buy something, is the stuff on Amazon cheaper? Sometimes. Sometimes it's like 2 or $3 cheaper. But you know what happens when I look at a box directly in front of me that costs 2 or $3 more, but I can physically get it now and not have to wait two to four days to get I'm just going to buy the one that's sitting in front of me. Mm-hmm. It's two, $3 difference. Who cares? And I'm helping this local business. Great. Buying it. Sometimes their stuff's cheaper. If it's been sitting on the shelf for a while, they're just trying to liquidate it out. You can buy it for cheap. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Totally down with that. Like, that kind of stuff works out right, great, especially if a store has, like, a play space. And they want, you know, a, a good, stable, like, 10, 12 people coming in every week to play this game. Mm-hmm. Okay, 10, 12 people doesn't sound like a whole lot. But 10, 12 people that each spend, you know, buy a box of things, a paycheck, becomes, like, a significant amount. And if their decision on whether or not they're going to buy a thing from you each week is if you're marked down 10 or 15% from retail, why not just mark it down 10 or 15% by retail? Help them save a little bit of money keep a regular customer so that when they do get that big like Christmas cash or that big tax return, they come back to you and they buy like a couple hundred dollars for the shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially if you can, uh, sort of put in a business buffer to make up for that, uh, drop in revenue income. Like let's say you're going to mark your stuff down 10, 15%. Okay. So you're definitely losing out on some potential profit there. Fair enough. Um, but as John said, if you're getting people into the store, I think you're going to see game stores more and more just trying to make some money elsewhere. Um, for example, a shop, the shop I go to and really, really enjoy, uh, they offer a, a generous discount on all the tabletop wargaming products, not just Games Workshop, but all of it. Um, however, when you're in the store playing, there are drinks you can buy. There are snacks you can buy. You can rent out tables if you need to for an event or to play with some friends on a weekend. Um, All of those things can bring money in to make up for that difference and lost potential uh, profit and maybe even go beyond it depending on how many people you have coming in to hang out. I mean, let's say you are buying like the giant bulk sodas from Costco for like 20 cents a piece and you've got 15, 16 people coming in to play a tournament night. You're selling the sodas for like a buck a piece. 
I mean, if everybody buys a few, which they will, <laughs> you're probably going to be doing all right on that there weekday night. It's, it's not a sort of complicated thing to understand. But also, yeah. I think there's another change we're going to see happening more and more to make up for that difference, but that is even more consistent than like the snacks and drinks and stuff. Uh, and that's sort of doing a club system. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to touch on. Um, I think there's a lot of potential there, more so than like we've even really talked about because I've had some more recent ideas about this. Or like a club system is probably the best thing going forward for game stores in multiple ways, right? Mm-hmm. So I want you to tell me your side first because I got some things I want to throw at you, but I want, I want to throw the curveballs at you later. Sure. Um, so I think first I want to preface this with there. I know we have viewers who listen from different places and uh, from my very like Kentucky American understanding, uh, apparently clubs are more common in the UK and in Britain. Um, so they might be like, what do you mean? We've been doing this forever. But just for context, over here, that's not a thing I have seen. Uh, with the exception of one store that I'm going to use as an example. Um, so the store I go to and really, really enjoy uh, has set up a clever, clever system that works for both the customer and the person who owns the store. So they have a bunch of tables, obviously, and they do tournaments and stuff. And they do offer a markdown on all of their tabletop products, just base for anybody coming in off the street. And that's cool. But if you're someone who really enjoys the hobby and you really like playing at this particular store, there is a club program where for 25 bucks a month, you get a much higher discount on everything in the store. Uh, you get 24-7 access to the play area through like a door with a code. So you could come in and play games at 2 in the morning if you want to um, because you're a member and you have the door code. Uh, you can rent a locker there if you want to keep your armies and whatnot stored there or your rule books or your gizmos and gadgets and whatnot. Uh, you could just keep that all in there. Um, and of course, also, you can use all of this to order straight from a text message. Like, you're a member. They know you. You don't have to, like, come in and put in your order. If you see a new release and you think, man, I would like to buy, like, a Sisters of Battle Star Collecting box. No need to go in to put in the order. Just text them and be like, hey, friend, uh, can you please order this for me? And then you don't even go to the store to pay until you have to go pick it up. It's incredibly convenient it's great for us as consumers, especially if you don't have a place to play like I had when I was living in an apartment for the past, you know, forever. All of that's great. So it works for us. But also, for the person who owns the store, that is consistent income for them. That is going to come in every month. Um, in which I can't speak for every store who does this, because I only know one. But for the store that I go to that does it, it was immensely helpful during the COVID months. Uh, and it's just something that you can rely on and take a little more risk with having more product for people to take part in. 
which I think is just a slam dunk. Uh, big win for me as a customer, big win for them as someone who's trying to run a small business. I say more of this, please. More of this. <laughs> now, and I think that you can expand upon it, right? You certainly can. Yeah. And um, before I talk about the expansion on that, I want to address a problem that I see a lot of people have when we talk about this topic. Um, I've talked about it online with people before. I've seen threads on Reddit. I've seen threads on Facebook talking about it. And people always end up bringing up the same point. That point is, well, I don't think it's right for a store to charge me to use their play space when I've been buying stuff from them for years. Well, unfortunately, they have overhead. Like, they are a small business. This isn't like some big corporation. This isn't Games Workshop itself. This isn't Amazon. This is a small... This is probably like an owner who makes just enough to, to pay the bills and maybe have a little bit of extra cash. Like, they're not... They're not living on the high life off of running a game store. So if they're, gonna, if they're doing it, it's because they need the money, for one. And for two, space is expensive. Like, a building is expensive... You know, overhead costs for utilities only going up. Water costs money to have a bathroom. Like, it just does. Getting the stock that you want to have on the shelves to buy. Like, not to mention to, to play a game like Warhammer, which takes hours. You're going to be taking up a lot of space. I think it's perfectly reasonable for someone to go, mm, maybe you should give me, like, a monthly subscription to, like, using that space whenever I feel like it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like a magic player who you're not going to charge to come play your game because you can put them in a small table over in the other side of the room for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it, different, different, drastically different. Apples and worlds. monkey wrenches. Um, yeah. Apples and monkey wrenches. <laughs> but, but also, though, I will say from my local store, you can play the tables for free during business hours. The only time you have to pay is if you want to play outside of business hours. That's what the pass is for, or that's what the membership does. That's even more reasonable, mm -hmm. you know? And if you're going to be buying stuff anyways, just pay the subscription to this place to, to play more often. I can almost guarantee you, you'll spend less money. Like, we'll use a World of Warcraft as an example, right? It's a $15 a month subscription to play that game on your computer. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you there's plenty of people out there who pay the $15 a month to play that game on their computer. Same thing with Final Fantasy XIV, other MMOs in general you had to pay roughly that same amount of money to play at a game store whenever you wanted and use their terrain that they're providing, use their tables they're providing, their supplies that they're providing, the only thing you got to bring is your army and your rulebook and somebody to play with? Man, that's great. Um, <laughs> that, that's, that's a great deal. As somebody currently trying to build his own table and build his own terrain and have his own play space, uh, it's a lot of time, money, effort, and... Uh, just to have it accessibly in my own home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for that. And also, on top of all of that, the place I go to, you get a deeper discount for being a member. So, like, you, you yeah. get all the benefits, which are worth the money. On top of, I keep my membership there because I really, really like the owner and I want to support them. Because um, I just want them to succeed and I want their kids to eat. Like, to have it. <laughs> but also... Which... Like, I do save money on it. Like, there have been many, many months where I saved more than my $25 membership fee. Like, that's just the nature of the beast. 
Um, so it is good for both parties. I cannot express it enough. And you you brought up the sense of like, I, I keep it because I want to support them. Um, there's something that, you know, here in America, it's less common. I'll be completely honest. Um, is a sense of community, right? And it used to exist a lot in game stores, right? You went to your local game store and you knew everybody there and you bought the same, you, you bought stuff there. They'd put stuff off to the side because they knew you were coming in because you come in all the time. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was comic books. Maybe it was magic cards. Maybe they knew you were working on this deck. So they put a couple of singles off to the side. Maybe they knew that you played this army in 40K. So when the new box comes out, they put it off to the side for you in case you wanted it. Stuff like that. Very cool. Well, by making it a club system, you can kind of rebuild that sense of community in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and kind of make the game store the, the focal point for it. And, you know, I've done, I've done a lot of thinking about this. And, and an example of that would be like maybe like an after school program, right? For middle school kids. You know, it, it's hard to get clubs going in schools anymore. Uh, a lot of schools just don't have the funding. It's harder to do so. Like, yeah, Games Workshop helps out by like sending kits and stuff but man it's it's difficult for those teachers to find the time to do that thing that they used to do um and i think as game stores if you had like this subscription model right you could tell parents like hey pay this amount of money a month and your kids can come here after school and we'll teach them how to paint We'll teach them how to play these games. We'll we'll provide some stuff for them to, to do stuff with. Mm -hmm. Maybe have loaner and, armies or whatever until they can get yeah. their own going. Because let's be honest, it takes to... time to build a force when you're only living on like a, you know, an eighth grader's allowance if you even have that. Like, yeah, and like stores could do things like having renter armies that people, you know, the kids can play, and like get them used to like how the games play, um, the different game sets. Like maybe. You know, have like a Christmas raffle um, or like a Christmas, like something that I think would be cool, right? As you had the subscription thing and then like the owner goes, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch in some money towards getting all of the kids in our after school programs start, like start collecting boxes. Does anyone else want to like pitch in, right? Because a big aspect of the game store is like the game store is one of the first things that really brought me into this hobby when I was a kid. And I got to think that that's still the case because where else would you buy and play and do stuff with this in a, in a physical way? Cause it's a physical game. Mm -hmm. How do you, did you do that in, in such an increasingly online digital world? And it's, I think it's on us as the gamers to kind of push our game store owners to expand the concept of community within their stores. Cause these places are not just, a place you go give them your cash and they give you a box of plastic and then you go home. If it is for you, great. I'm happy for you that that's all you feel like you need. I prefer to have a game store that I can go to, hang out, talk to the, the, the people who run that game store, buy some stuff, maybe go and play some games that I feel comfortable bringing my friends to, mm -hmm. that I would feel comfortable bringing kids to, my partner, um, it's things like that. Like, it should be, and I, some people get mad at this, a safe space for people to play these games. And we should perpetuate that and build that community up so that we can all just, like, have a cool place to go hang out and play games and drink Mountain Dew. It is the best. I mean, we talked about it on our the episode about, like, the importance of friendly local game stores, and I said it there, and I'll say it here. Uh, in a hobby that is this physical, 
and that you need to find your own like people to play with like you can't just click find match uh the local like your local gaming store is the heart of your community it is like it just is um it's where everybody goes to get their product it's where everybody hangs out on a friday it's where people play their tournament games it's where like people play their like 16 person leagues over a month or two it is where everybody gets together it's the communal watering hole and i think leaning into that could help game stores you know keep their revenue up and keep their membership high uh even while dealing with other challenges which there are some others uh rather than just like covid and the ever digitalization of our society um but if if nothing else no matter what new challenges pop up that i can't even foresee today if the game store is viewed as like an important piece of the community and everyone really likes it and they love the owners and everyone who works there and they have fond memories of it and like, oh man, Mike, my, my kids go there. I don't want that place to go out of business. No matter what challenges arise, there will be people wanting to support it, which will give them a much better chance at riding out whatever storm hits them, which yeah, really is the key. And like to bring up another problem kind of that is kind of propping its way up and it's great for consumers. It's great for hobbyists, but for game stores, it might hit them a little hard if their big thing is selling models is uh, 3d printing. Like full disclosure, we're not going to talk a ton about this on this episode because this is a big one. That's going to require its own. It, episode. Yeah. It does require an episode all on its own. Um, but we'd be remiss not to say that this will not be a defining factor of how change happens over the next five to 10 years. Um, Cause like, I mean, John, how far is 3d printing come in just like three years, four years? Yeah, like I remember being in a game store that I used to like help sell stuff at and run tournaments at, uh, like six years ago and we didn't even talk about 3d printing mm -hmm. it wasn't even a thing it was back in like seventh edition was not a bit like that wasn't that long ago and it was it was not on anyone's radar you know age of sigmar wasn't even out yet right and a few years ago when like we started getting you started getting into the hobby joe like 3D printing was, like, on the fringe. People were like, this might be a thing in the future. Like, the nebulous 10-year, 15-year future. Um, but for now, keep buying the plastic. And if they don't have it out in plastic, just buy the metal version still, right? Yeah. And now, over the last, like, year especially, as 3D printing has gotten better and cheaper, I can't tell you of a single hobbyist content creator that hasn't discovered, uh, hasn't covered some sort of 3D printing or had some sort of, like, 3D printer, Kickstarter sponsor on their show. Like, it is, it is the future of the game. I don't think it'll take over all sales, but I think that there's a lot of stuff out there that it just makes more sense for. Like, if you're a D&D &D miniature hobbyist, right? Mm -hmm. And you just get miniatures for D&D. &D. Why would you ever not just get a 3D printer and 3D print the stuff that you need? The very specific amount. Instead of having to order it and wait for it to be there. Go to the store and hope they have it. Like, it's cheaper. The quality's better than most of the stuff that you can get from, like, Reaper. Mm -hmm. Like, why wouldn't you? 
Yeah, it's a no-brainer. And I mean, generally speaking, the the sort of bars to 3D printing, like when I was in college, for example, uh, I had a friend who's a software engineer, and one of his projects was programming a 3D printer. And at that time, I mean, he was at a major university, and he is an incredibly intelligent person. And even with all of the resources plus intelligence combined, the 3D printer's details could really only print you like handheld items like a wrench. <laughs> and even then, it's going to look a little rough. And like, if you tried to print something smaller, it would be, the machine would be thousands of dollars. The resin would smell like death. And uh, trying to dispose of it or process the minis would be a health hazard. So, like, all in all, it, no. Just no. Now, though, like, I have a 3D printer. I got one. Because I could get it for $300 for an odorless resin that I can process with basic out rubbing alcohol. And that gives me an incredible mini quality. Sometimes better than what I get from other tabletop wargaming companies. Uh, that's incredible. Like, that's insane. And with it becoming and, so accessible, pe and only getting more so, people are going to hop on that train. Yeah, and it's, it, 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 it is only getting more accessible. And um, like I said, we're going to have a whole episode about this, so I don't want to delve too deep into it. Mm -hmm. But... The biggest point I want to make clear here is that game stores that decide to go with the flow on this will succeed. Whereas game stores and game companies who decide they're going to fight this wave are going to lose. They're just going to. Um, there's a reason why people stopped buying CDs when MP3 players became a th thing and they stopped buying MP3 players when Spotify became a thing. Like, what... <laughs> There will become a point in which 3D printing models will be a very big aspect to this hobby. Maybe not for like the big, huge models that are a little bit harder to print, or if people want specific things. Mm -hmm. And Archeon, for example. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I think that it is folly to think that this is a fad that's going away. This, this is getting increasingly more popular. Yeah. I mean, like, do you want to spend $400 on foot troops or do you want to pay $300 for a 3d printer and have all the foot troops you want? Like, yeah, well, it's, it's in that a lot of these games are built, particularly Warhammer, right? Age of Sigmar and 40 K are built with the intention of you're going to spend the most amount of money buying ostensibly the same model, like 60 times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for but, bits and upgrade kits and sprues and yeah. Uh well that that's a whole other thing. Like GW doesn't even really sell the bits like anymore. They don't. They sell up, upgrades. They hope that you'll buy whole new kits just to get the bits off of that sprue, but with three D printing, that's not gonna be a thing. Yeah, I, I just I just wouldn't like You could just print that <laughs> bit. You could just print it. You could print ten of those bits. <laughs> yeah. Uh but like, they expect you to want to buy, like, six boxes of Primaris Intercessors, or, like, ten boxes of Zombies, or, like, six boxes of Cadian Shock Troops. But if you can just print out all those guys, why wouldn't you just do that? Mm -hmm. Like, and then buy the tanks, because maybe your printer can't print tanks very well. 
or like buy the big models because those are the ones that have, or buy the rule books only. Um, since you know GW doesn't want to give up the little bit of give a leeway on like maybe not charging people for rules to play their goddamn game. Um, but that's a whole other story. Whole other episode. Whole other episode. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think I mean it's going to happen. People are already jumping to do 3D printing. It's already affecting the hobby. And I think it's going to affect local game stores. Uh, however, I do. I think some of them are going to resist it. And they will probably go under. And I that's a shame. But I think some will lean into it. Yep. They will go, hey, y'all. Like, we know that you could buy a 3D printer yourself and have it at home. And do all this processing. But maybe you just don't want to. Maybe you don't have the space for it. Maybe someone in your house doesn't like the smell of the isopropyl alcohol. Like maybe you just, you're, you know, you got kids and stuff that you're worried will get into the resin and whatnot, and which could be toxic if they touch it. Like, you know, there could be a number of reasons why someone doesn't want to have a 3D printer in their house, but maybe they still want to get 3D printed models. Well, here at like Joe's local game shop, I've got five 3D printers in the back. And if you're a member of the club, for like a very tiny fee, I'm happy to print whatever file you want. Just, uh, you know, you give me the STL file and I'll print you however many you need. Yeah. And that could be very good for them. Like, uh, That's a hell of a bargain. Just like, you know, looking at how much resin you're going to use. Because the software will tell you exactly how much resin you're going to use per model. And then just do the math out. Oh, you need... 60 guardsmen? All right, that'll be uh, 15 bucks. Holy cow. Yes, done. Take it. Here's my money. Uh, and then you don't have to do the processing. You don't have to have the printer. You don't have to do the calibration. You don't have to fiddle with the software. Um, you just show up and bada boom, product. Yep. And like, there's going to be a lot of purists out there, right? Like, there's going to be a lot of people out there who be like, I don't want to play with your 3D mo 3D printed models. And I'm going to go, well, I don't think I want to play with you in general. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because it's the only way I can afford to play this game damn game sometimes. <laughs> uh, cost of everything's going up. What do you mean? My grocery bill doubled in the last year. Do you think that I had, uh, I am going to pay more money for these plastic arguments so that you feel better about it? No, I'm good. No, nah, dog. That ain't it. <laughs> dog. That dog don't hunt. I'll play with like my, my three friends that want to play with me with 3D printed models and be happy with it. And we'll just but we'll just print more big like bigger army selections so that we don't have to worry about finding new people to play with. We'll just play new factions. <laughs> John, did you print a Mr. Potato Head to stand in as your gargant Stompa? Yes. Yes I did. Yes, yes I did. Um But yeah, like it's it's gonna change things in the future. But the thing that hasn't been decided about 3D printing yet, is the tournament scene, right? Mm -hmm. And tournaments do heavily impact game stores. They do. Even the big ones, they still impact the game stores because people will watch the, like, read about the big armies doing well and online, and then they'll go to the store and buy a bunch of stuff so they can whoop their friends with a list that they didn't know how to pilot and lose and then be mad. Yep, yep. That is the ritual. Yep. Uh, Tales old as time, toe to tip. Uh, the... Esports scene, though, for things like League of Legends and just video games in general, right? Twitch streams, all of that, exploded over COVID. Exploded over the last couple of years, but particularly over COVID. Mm -hmm. 
And it's starting to do so for tabletop wargaming. Uh, you'll see it for Age of Sigmar. You'll see it for Warhammer 40K. You see it for Magic already. I've also seen it for, like, um, Star Wars Legion. That was the thing. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. It's just people like watching games. Um, I think our generation is probably some of the nerdiest motherfuckers that have ever existed. Love it. Good job, y'all. Keep it up. Yep. And a lot of them grew up going, I don't like sports because we watched a lot of movies in which the football players were the dickheads and we didn't want to be that. So we just ended up not liking sports. Speak for yourself. Uh, not Joe, though. <laughs> Joe loves sports. I, I don't like all sports, but yes. I, I You like the football. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can watch. Depends on the team. Some of them have just this like really passive defense style that I absolutely despise, but that's another podcast. <laughs> the esports scene for more nerdy things like tabletop wargaming has exploded. I mean, look at Critical Role, right? Like for D and D. Oh my god! Exploded. Titans. It did so much for that actual IP. It re revamped an entire tabletop RPG renaissance. So if like a similar thing happens to tabletop wargaming, you will see the entire hobby just rack it up. Stupid. Which would equivalate to more money for game stores, right? Which would be great. More people yes. want to play, especially game stores that lean into the concept. You know how many businesses have opened up around the concept of like a big theatrical setting to play D&D &D or play board games in which they sell like beer at? Like they're, they're all over the place and they make so much money. Because of Critical Role making an interest in this thing. Mm -hmm. And game stores will do the same thing. Um, and I think that's great. Uh, I think that there's a lot of game stores out there that could probably do for a little bit of money to, to revamp their stores. They, they, maybe, maybe they don't need to have the same posters from like Dawn of War 1 from the early 2000s hanging up for the last 15 years. <laughs> Some new like, art. Maybe a coat of paint. It could help yeah. you. Um, and it would be interesting. And I think that we shouldn't get uppity. That's, I don't know, maybe that's not the right word. Maybe we should, shouldn't get so dismissive of an esports scene for tabletop wargaming or a tournament scene for tabletop wargaming. There are people who like to play things on a much more like competitive level. That's why sports exist. That's why, like, competitive magic exists. There's still the casual format for formats for everything, and that's entirely fair. But local game stores will probably make a lot of money off of running tournaments on a bi-weekly to monthly basis with the same, like, 12 to 16 people all agreeing to the rules and will buy, be buying new models and paints and everything and else. And drinks and snacks that's, and yeah, beer. That's good for them. Like, just works out. Allow them to do that. Uh, and, you know... Not all tournament players are just like crusty, smelly, mean assholes that are just like, well, actually, you're a couple centimeters short. Uh, like a lot of them are just like, oh, I see what your intention is. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll figure this out. Like they want to just they want to beat you. They don't want to beat you because of a gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, because it is a, it's a competition, and that's perfectly healthy and fine. But if those events do well, right, and they're going to do fairly well, it opens the door for maybe a store wanting to do on the off weeks narrative events, right? Like a narrative day mm -hmm. where like they're writing a story 
that you can come and play. Like it, there's a lot of potential in that aspect of the hobby that's growing that could really benefit game stores in the future. Get people in the door. Get people buying and, and being part of the community and playing different games. It'd be great. The more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. And I, I imagine that's probably how the game store owners feel. Like, um, It just makes sense. And I mean, we've been here talking about changes and challenges over the next five to ten years for almost an hour. And I am sure there is stuff... Well, th like, I know there are other things we have talked about that are less big factors that, you know, will leave. But I'm sure that, like, there is stuff that we haven't even pondered. Or things that are just going to crop up. Or, you know, John and I are just going to miss things. And for those of you out there listening, if you think that there's like a giant bomb of a topic that we missed, a hurdle that we absolutely fell over, let us know. <laughs> um, we, If people send up a whole bunch of points that we didn't even consider, we'd happily make a second episode of this. Because um, it is an evolving topic that it does sort of beg for discussion more than once. So if you're out there and you're sort of listening to everything we're talking about, feel free to send us your ideas, either in the YouTube comments or on social media. We're out there. Um, we read them. I happily discuss them here, if we, especially if we think it's something spicy that we were dumb for missing, which we're good for. Yeah, we're real good at missing, like, points that are like clearly directly in front of our face it's great <laughs> yeah yeah real good at that um and also if you're out there and as we're talking about all this you're listening to the topic and going man i really hope my local game stores hangs in there uh the best thing i could tell you is to just support them where you can like john mentioned if there's a like a two dollar price difference between them and amazon go there Get your stuff from them. Um, if you have people who you're bringing into town to play games, take them to the shop. Might give them a little bit of extra money. Just, you know, get a little bit of effort. Hopefully you can get them through whatever changes are going to be coming over the next few years. And if you're out there and you're thinking, oh man, I like this podcast. Maybe leave a review. It's uh, super helpful. You said that so aggressively. Please, if you haven't ran away, <laughs> please make a review. Please, please, please. Uh, we are a very... He's sorry. I'm going to apologize for it. <laughs> we are a very tidy show, uh, and those things help immensely to, you know, try to fight against the algorithm, which we will forever be like Sisyphus, pushing against only to be crushed underneath the weight of the internet. Um and we'd appreciate wow, that. I didn't know this is a philosophy podcast. Don't get me started, John. <laughs> it can be. If you give me uh, four shots of whiskey, it will be a philosophy podcast. Let's go. <clears throat> There's our... Philosophy cast. Let's go. <laughs> philosophy cast. Y'all. <laughs> and uh, also, if y'all just got questions in general, the DMs are open. Let us know. But for now, that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide and Kentucky Fried. We'll see y'all on the next episode.